my god, that means I start? Yeah. Oh god. Uh, welcome to the Garbage Fire <laughs> Podcast, aka MFKS Radio, on the airwaves dial at 487.52. Your pod is hosted by Kelsey and Megan, who is old woman in shoe. Oh, how dare you. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the Garbage Fire Pod is all about being unironically passionate to the point that you dive into the dumpster for the things that you love. Here's the thing. I've already forgotten why I changed your name in my phone to old woman in shoe. <laughs> Because you sent me something on Instagram, and it was like it was like one of those big like lounge beds that like you can like a lounge oh, chair thing. Oh, it was that you in can... the giant shoe yeah. shape. Yes. Yeah, and I was like, I want one, and then you called me an old woman in the shoe, and I was like, I mean, that's like, that's acceptable, and now I'm old woman in shoe. Um, cool. You know what? It's better than how the fact that you have to put your husband's you have to put bracket husband behind your husband's name. Um, just so that's that not can... have to. That's for like emergency purposes. No, I know, no, and I understand <laughs> that, but you have to do that. So no one's ever. But this is the thing. No one's ever going to call me now uh, for emergency reasons for you because like my old woman and shoe. What the fuck is this nonsense? With a picture of Clay Matthews, I might add. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things we could say about my contact list, and that's probably the least of it. That's true. I have for my picture for you is still that like Pizza Jesse. Uh, photo that you love it yeah and it makes me laugh uh whenever you phone um it's been a minute since we've done uh a podcast i'm afraid to ask when the last one was i couldn't even tell you i'm i'm afraid to click and look because my computer might freeze up so i will check later but it's been i would say like minimum three months i think it was pre london for me yeah like sometime in may i think is when we did that's okay things happen it's been a busy summer Yep. It's been a real busy summer. I, like, did summer school, and then I've been off for, like, two weeks, and uh, then I go back on Tuesday to do football things, so I had, like, a whole two and a half weeks off. Um, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, it's been a busy summer, uh, and we've had... You've been... You went to London. You did some cool stuff. Uh, I went to Canor for a day. <laughs> My big, exciting trip. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow those two times overlapped. Yeah, they did. I think I was getting home right as you were in Kenmore, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Oh, How was boy. your London trip? It was good. It was good. Like, I, I think every single thing that we chose to do was, like, absolutely worth it 10 out of 10. Like, there wasn't really any duds, which is great. Considering you know, when you go over somewhere like that, you really have to be purposeful with your time because you don't know when you're going to be back next and it's very expensive and hard to plan to go and all of that shit. So yeah, it worked out really well. Our weather was fucking gorgeous, which was unbelievable. On the last day, it was 28 degrees and we were all like, okay, this is too hot. Yeah, that's too hot. When my dad and I were there, it was like kind of a the start of a bit of a heat wave, and I think it was maybe like twenty five ish. Yeah, and that's even in the city, that's too hot. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And there's just like there's no nobody's got air conditioning there, right? So the every public space and private space is just like totally stifling when you're there. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. Enjoyed 
things that I did and, you know, got some time away from being a parent, which was really nice. And yeah, I don't know really what else to say. Spent a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when you go to uh, when you go to London. It's expensive. You can't get away from it. Yeah, you definitely can't. Like, like London, London is not a budget travel destination. Absolutely no. And once you begin to be like, oh, well, let's cut costs here. It's like, okay, well now, now you're staying <laughs> thirty kilometers outside the mm -hmm. city. And you may not live to the end of the day. <laughs> well, it's, I remember when my, like, I met my dad when I was living in Ireland. My dad flew to London and I met him there. Uh, and then we did some stuff. We spent a few days in London and then we went to France. And then we went back to, uh, back to Dublin. And I was, I did all the bookings and stuff for hotels and whatever. That's like, you just look after it and I'll, I'll tell me how much I owe you, basically. And... I found this hotel. It was all, like, it was the end of June. So it was like, it was getting into summer and whatever. So things are going to be a little bit more expensive. And I found this hotel that was really close to a tube station uh, and looking at the stuff that we wanted to do. And it was, it was, I can't remember what station it was closest to. It doesn't really matter. But it was one where we weren't going to have to do a bunch of like changes on lines to get to a bunch of different places. Yep. You know, so it's close enough to be a hub, which was kind of nice. Um, <laughs> anyway, we get to... Uh, I meet him at the airport and, you know, we get, I, I assume we took the tube in. I don't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. And we get to our hotel. No, we did take the tube because we had to walk. So we get off the, uh, off the tube and, um, we're just walking, you know, the 10 minutes or whatever to the hotel. And as we're getting there, I'm looking at like these houses and stuff and I'm like seeing all these, like down these streets, all these like gates on, on front properties and everything. And I'm like, where the? fuck are we turns out i didn't really pay attention to look at the map we were like on the one on like one end of hyde park <laughs> oh god and so like the hotel i mean it was there wasn't a lot available truly for hotels or whatever but the hotel was really expensive which once i figured out where we were i was like oh yeah whoops sorry dad he's like nah whatever money's just money i was like yeah, it's easy for you to say you're not living on a student budget but um but it was so expensive like it's the most expensive hotel i think i've ever stayed in um, and it wasn't that nice, like it wasn't, yeah. but it was to do that. And it was looking at other stuff that was close to like two hubs and stuff. It was, that was the best option for like ease of getting to places. Yeah. Um, totally. and so you have to pay that premium when you're in a place like London or in Paris or whatever, you absolutely have to pay for the convenience of being able to get around. Yeah. A hundred percent. And even just like the convenience of getting around, but also the, like the not the convenience of safety but you know mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. within a short distance from yeah. the tube to your place like the, at no point did I feel unsafe in London whatsoever um but I think it just makes you feel a bit more confident where you're like oh we're just we're three blocks away we just turn here turn there blah 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 and we're we're good we're home yeah, that does, it does make it a lot easier. And like I found for myself when I was traveling alone, because the first time that I went, I stayed uh, in a hostel in Piccadilly Circus, um, which was fine, you know, like busy though, very busy, but the hostel, like the hostel was fine. Um, yeah. and the other thing that's about staying in a place like that, because it's so busy, uh, I felt very safe there as well. Right. Cause yeah. there's like, I was by myself. I had never been there before. Um, but I didn't feel any kind of like worry about anything really because it's so busy there's there are people on the street at all hours of the day right um like 
I because I stayed there because again it was close to a tube hub and I was going to uh, Wembley for a football game and so like that was all everything was fine like it was easy to get there didn't have like I didn't have to worry about anything and when I got back from the football game whatever time it was like it's nighttime and there's just all this stuff going on all this traffic and I was like oh this there's no this is fine like there's nothing wrong here yeah a hundred percent it wasn't like watching through the walking through the sketchy parts of Dublin that I used to walk through, uh, which I didn't really realize were sketchy until like well after I left. Um, I was like, oh, oh really? Probably <laughs> shouldn't have been walking like home from a movie at past midnight with headphones in, but oh, cool, did that a lot, you know, things like that. Yeah, hindsight, I guess. I guess so. Um, okay, we have two things we want to talk about. Do we? Oh God. Yeah. Oh yes, right. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. We tried to do this a couple times, and yeah. then my son had croup, and I'm still sick, and it's just a challenge for me to just be a person currently, so I'm doing my best. <laughs> you know what? That is all we can ask for, um, is <laughs> that we're just doing our best. <laughs> I washed my hair for the first time in question mark today, so we're doing our best. I washed my hair yesterday, and then my mom and I went out, and uh, so I put it in a ponytail because it was still really, really wet, and I didn't feel like drying it, and then I just left it in a ponytail all day, and then when I got home last night was pretty late because I went for dinner with some friends. I, like, took it out and let it air dry a little bit because the middle was still, like, soaking wet, and then when I went to bed, I, like, piled it on top of my head in a bun, and I woke up this morning, and I have the most spectacular curls. Incredible. Oh, my God. Very, it was, it's very good. And when I went and picked up a coffee, the girl, the barista was like, she's like, how did you get your hair to do that? And I was like, I slept on it. I was like, I don't have an answer for you. I'm sorry. See, here's, here's how my life is completely the opposite right now. Because I, I clearly don't really care about my appearance whatsoever currently. Because we have these friends who live a block away who we see almost nearly every single day because we either take our kids to daycare at the same time or we walk our dogs together or whatever and the amount of times my friend has been like oh my god your hair looks great did you get a cut and I've replied no I just washed it is (laughs) in the tens of thousands and then I was like you know maybe Marissa's just hair blind or she's just like really being complimentary in a passive way to be like Kelsey you need to shower more but the same thing happened to me at the pharmacy (laughs) (laughs) I went in the morning to drop off the prescription after daycare drop off and said I'll be back at three because that's when I knew I was going to be around again to pick it up and the pharmacist was like oh wow did you get a haircut in between and I said no I just (laughs) watched it I feel like that's kind of like a semi-decent segue into what we're going to talk about here because uh, in the Barbie movie, there's a wonderful speech about two-thirds of the way through about how hard it is to be a woman and all of the things that you have to do and be, um, but you can't be them too much. Or you can't want to be them. Yeah, but but you still have to be them, but you you can want to be them, but you can't tell anybody that you want to be them uh, because then, yeah, there's a whole bunch of things. So we're going to talk about a couple movies that we've seen this summer and we'll start with the Barbie movie. Um, which should be, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Ryan Gosling's first Oscar. (laughs) 
I think. I, he's phenomenal in that movie. Like, I know, you know, whatever. It's a movie about Barbie and we're going to talk about Ken, which annoys some people. But, like, he was incredible. Yeah, it was really funny. It's... <sighs> It's so nice to see Ryan Gosling play these types of parts because, like, in the start of his career, he was so serious. Mm-hmm. Well, like, he, in the start so of his movie serious. career, do you remember yes. a TV show called Breaker High? Of course I do. Because <laughs> he was not serious there. No, but in his movie career, like, God, how many times has he been nominated for an Oscar now? Like, three or four? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, something like that. Yeah. Half Nelson and... Oh, God, that movie was so good. So good, and like I think Blue Valentine too, wasn't he? And yeah, all all very heavy, very like all very yeah. heavy, heavy stuff. And he's just God. He's so chaotic now. It's so funny, and just to watch him in all these interviews with Margot in their <laughs> like press tour, and they've clearly just got a revolving door of journalists in, and he's wearing two pairs of sunglasses at the same time. <laughs> Like, he's just I don't think he's ever going to be able to let go of Ken at this point no I no he, and he shouldn't be able to like he's and it's funny because when I heard that they were making the movie and they cast Margot Robbie as Barbie I was like yes of course who else would it be like yeah who else would you cast and then when I heard the news him as Ken I was like yeah I can see that somehow um, yeah. And then I didn't I didn't see any previews really for the movie except for like little snippets like when I'd go see something else it would just be like a little thirty second teaser or whatever like there was really nothing and I think the first teaser I saw was actually like the opening scene oh yeah with, with him like, on the beach the, yeah no with like the giant like the giant bar oh like, the yes very, yes very sorry, sorry. Um, and then there was like a couple little snippets and that was it but I do remember seeing a couple clips of them filming them the rollerblading in Malibu. Um, and being like, what is happening in this movie? Because, like, at the the time, I didn't know anything about it. And so, like, thinking that there was just, like, real live Barbie dolls in the real world without understanding the context, I was like, this is going to be absolutely unhinged. What is Greta doing? Uh, And it wasn't unhinged at all. It was incredible. Yeah, for for what the plot is and what it turns into, out to be I never would have fucking guessed especially because there was so much speculation online because the marketing was so absolutely crazy just introducing all these different Barbies and Kens and Allens to us without really telling us anything about (laughs) the movie oh Alan but the I remember seeing just absolutely bonkers theories about how in the conversation between Barbie and Ken when he's like, well, you know, maybe could I stay over tonight? And she's like, why? He's like, well, because we're a boyfriend, girlfriend. And she's like, no. (laughs) Someone said, oh, I see. I think the movie is what's going through like a child's head as they play with the Barbies. And Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) it's a movified version of whatever playtime is. And I was like, if so, that's the most fucking insane thing I've ever heard. And I can't wait to see it. But it turned out to be crazier. It was. It was. It was crazier, but better. Like, I don't know. But if it had been that, it still would have been great. It still would have been because great. Because the yeah. way that the Kens especially talked yeah. was very much like how kids play. 
Um, and that opening, like, once we get into Barbie land and we see, like, the opening sequence with, like, the dream houses and stuff and Barbie wakes up and every day is the best day ever and all that stuff. Like, just the way that she doesn't have to, like, walk down the stairs in her house. Because yeah. when you play with your Barbies, nobody walks them down the stairs. She jumps, um, yeah. She jumps. And then when she, like, jumps and lands, like, right in the car and, like, the, takes the shoes off and her feet are... Like, all of the, those little things I thought were just so, so perfect because it really was how people play with Barbies. My favorite bit of that is when she goes down the slide and, like, walks across the pool. That's my absolute favorite part because, of course, there's no water in the pool, right? And Uh so, like, it's just, oh, man, it's so funny. Or when she drinks the orange juice or whatever and, like, doesn't actually drink because, oh, like, just, it's just incredible how much that, that opening bit is how we play or how we played with Barbies. Yeah, absolutely. And... Especially the refreshingness of having all the male characters be so one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Of, like, can't even sing. Like, he doesn't even know where he sleeps at night. Yeah. <laughs> and when well, Bart where was, do you where sleep? Ken- like, the- I don't know. Yeah, where, where do the Kens go? I don't know. Well, and it's funny because I was thinking about that because I saw it the first weekend that it... That it uh, opened when you came up and then I saw it yesterday again with my mom and so I was thinking about that yesterday and the thing about that that is really funny is the Barbies and Ken I had like three Ken dolls and I don't know how many Barbies um and one of the Kens had like real hair yeah like he didn't have the plastic hair he had like actual hair and he, he had a tuxedo it was a silver tuxedo and it had like three different like color bow ties and cummerbunds oh god to like to match like the Barbie outfits and stuff it was insane anyway they had their own box the Kens were separate from the Barbies. Like, at all times, when I would, like, put them away, the Kens had their own box, and they, like, that's where they went. That's hilarious. Like, shut up in a coffin. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. They had their own, and all, like, everything for all of the Kens fit in this one little, like, plastic bin. This little tiny plastic container, basically. And then I had all this other stuff for the Barbies, because there was just so many of them. Um, but yeah, it was, there was just something about it that, like... I don't know. It's it's there's a message in it that I think there are some people who clearly miss the message and that's why they hate the movie and they're wrong. Um but it was also like on a surface level like for kids, it's still kids can watch it and enjoy it and it's not cuz it's bright and it's, you know. It's silly. It's very silly. It's very silly. Yeah. I my sister had asked me when I went like if her youngest Olivia could go and I was like I mean, yeah, she can. She's gonna think it's fucking weird, though. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it would be a better. It would be better for uh, her older one to see. Yes, than for right, just because of the message and and the way that it's sort of you know presented there. Um, and Have what was you really see... go ahead. I was gonna say what was really cool about that is like how when the Barbies like escape, well, Barbie and Ken when they get into the real world, um, that it wasn't about a kid. Yes. was the thing that I liked the most, is that, like, the reason that all of these changes were happening in Barbie Land were because of an adult. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an interesting... Um, I thought that was an interesting way to do it, because it very easily could have been, like, a six-year-old kid. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the... It's sort of a reflection on... I think Greta's got two kids now, doesn't she? I think so, yeah. I think so. It's also, like, a reflection on... The, like, invisible burden and struggles of mothers, too. Because she's, like, going through this tough time with her teen. The dad is just 
I don't know, fucking mm-hmm. clueless in an empty sack of mayonnaise. Learning and Spanish. Learning Spanish. And <laughs> she's, you know, she's just trying to, like, work out these complicated feelings of womanhood and motherhood in her, in, like, some sort of safe, creative place. And that's just, like, drawing, drawing Barbie. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think we need an irrepressible thoughts of death Barbie? Yes. hundred percent. Well, isn't that weird Barbie though? <laughs> Can we talk about weird Barbie for a second? <sighs> weird Barbie. Oh, I love her. So for those of you who listen or are listening to this and have never played with Barbies, uh, and it's not necessarily an exclusive like Barbie phenomenon, but like everybody had them. And so yeah. this is just what happened. At this can some... happen with any doll. Yeah, but at some point, if you had a bunch, because if you only had, like, two or three, you probably were never going to cut the hair on one of them, right? Because, like, but if you had enough Barbies, you were absolutely going to cut their hair. Oh, yeah. It was going to happen. It was absolutely bound to happen. Might you also, like, pop their head off? Sure. Like, there was lots of things that would, like, that you would do or, like, pull the arm out of the socket and, like, you know, things like that. Um, So Kate McKinnon's character in this movie is Weird Barbie, which the way that they talk about her behind her back and to her face is incredible. <laughs> like it's, and they acknowledge that they do it behind her back and to, to her face, which I think is the best part. Um, but she's, they show this girl like overplaying with this Barbie basically and drawing on her face and like putting her in the splits. And then the kid like kicks her, kicks the Barbie like into the box and it's like right between the legs. So the legs just like stay that way. Just a crotch shot. Yeah. Oh God. It's so funny. And then Kay McKinnon herself, like she's just like weird and wonderful in, in all of the ways she could They could not have cast that. That might be the most perfect casting in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Weird Barbie um, is the <laughs> is the reflection of feminine rage in all of us. <laughs> yeah, and and she just like she does it so well. And so when weird when we first see Weird Barbie like as a person, it's just like it's incredible um, because she represents that like yeah that frustration that you felt when you were playing with him. Like I'm gonna cut the hair, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, and then that Barbie never gets played with anymore because you're mad that you did it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so she's, like, off in her own, like, weird little house, living by herself, um, with, well, not living by herself, she's living with some of the, like, the weird rejected Barbies. Yeah, discontinued. <laughs> yeah. Discontinued the, Barbies. Yeah, the one, the one with, like, the video camera in her chest and the TV on her back, whatever she was, that was an insane, insane idea. Doesn't um, she scream, like, who would want this or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, well, and then the one with, like, the, when you... Was it with where her boobs get bigger? Whatever I can, oh, because yes. that was a real one too. Um, and so they like she's living with all of these like discontinued dolls, which I think is really funny. But also, she's clearly got the like the temperature of everything that's gone on. Like she knows exactly yeah. why things are going awry. Yeah, absolutely. She's like <laughs> she would be wearing a tinfoil hat, but <laughs> it wouldn't go with her outfit. Um, what I love too about that whole weird Barbie scenario is that it shows like this reflection upon playtime of how even things that aren't slightly perfect get shunned to the side. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, and Barbie itself really encouraged us to do this, I think, because why have hair that you can dye different colors and style different ways if you also don't want us to cut it and also our cats are going to chew 
on the soft legs and arms and make them really pokey and fucking impossible to play with. Mm -hmm. And our older siblings might take a lighter and burn them a little bit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Not calling anybody out or anything, but... uh... (laughs) You know? No, it's true. from personal experience. But there's, there's this bizarre overplaying of, mm-hmm. like, which is a comment on, like, the delicacy of what it means to be a Barbie, right? Yes. Yeah. And there's this, like... And femininity is delicacy and perfection. Well, you only have to, you only have to look at her feet, right? At the doll, right? At yes. her feet. And her feet, like, there's no way that those ankles would support the doll. <laughs> no. Like at least Margot Robbie is a person. With fucking stands. Well, I know because yeah, they don't stand at all, right? Like they can't. But I remember you might be a little bit young for this, but I remember I also had. They might still be in my parents' basement, actually. I also had a gem doll, like gem, um, whatever. Gem and the holograms. Yes, and she had. You know when when uh, Barbie in the movie when she shows her flat feet to all her friends yeah. and they all like fake gag. Yeah hysterical anyway gem has like man feet and they're flat <laughs> <laughs> i'll if i'll go next time i go to my parents house, i'll go down the basement and i'll see if they're still there. i think they might be anyway and her feet are huge like the doll is a little bit taller than a barbie doll but the feet are gigantic and they're also like they're not i don't think they're fully flat but they're they're like pretty flat um and there's a couple pairs of shoes that i think the doll actually can stand in okay. um, which a barbie can't do yeah, because well, her the proportions feet... are just insane too. Yeah, and and the feet like are just so small, and the ankles are so tiny, and the feet are so tiny. Um, and but yeah, I with the flat feet thing made me laugh because I remember, and I remember being a kid and thinking the same thing about the gem doll anyway that she had these flat feet and they're, they're kind of gross because they're gigantic. <laughs> they're gross. Well, yeah, because it's just you know, and the the thing that was annoying is that like there you couldn't. Like, they couldn't share clothes, they couldn't share shoes or whatever, because the gem doll didn't have the right proportions, right? And so it was like, you had this one thing with, like, two outfits, and it's like, what's the point? Whereas with the Barbie, you can have, like, all of the things. Yeah, that's true. But that flat foot thing, I thought was hysterical. Like, it, it made me laugh harder than almost anything else in the movie, except when they were talking about the beach off. Because that is... Absolutely incredible wordplay. Because it sounded like beat off. Yes, and it was just and it, and because the the dolls are so not like self aware in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. it's just you know because Ken's job is beach. Yep. That, that's, what that's was Sima lose Ken's job? I don't think he had one. Oh, okay. He was great too, by the way. He was phenomenal. Uh, when he did the backflip with the sparkles. Like, just amazing. <laughs> the whole Ken fight. I remember, because you and I saw it together, and I remember just hearing, I'd say hysterical laughter in mm-hmm. that theater during the Ken fight with how over the top it became. And I loved every artistic choice showing, like, how, because it, it's not really violent, so they try to demonstrate the violence in different ways. And a lot of it is just like almost like force fields <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or like <laughs> airwaves beating against each other. And each 
person's desperation just got crazier and crazier and crazier. Oh my god, it was funny. But how funny was it that Midge... (laughs) (laughs) The fucking cast did this thing, I swear to god. Midge was played by Emerald Fennell. Mm Mm-hmm. Fucking Academy Award winner for Promising Young Woman and everyone's least favorite person in the world, Camilla Parker Bowles. Yep. She, that was so fucking fun. Did she even have a single line? No, maybe one. She might have said one thing. Um, But the, the supporting cast is incredible. Like Helen Mirren as the narrator. So good. Uh, and like Rhea Perlman, incredible. Oh, Will, Will Ferrell her. being the Mattel CEO, but also being like the dad in the Lego movie was just absolutely sending me. I like, know. I was like, they can't possibly be trying to do this again. <laughs> but it was so good. Like it was just. But he's also got that element when he plays those kind of characters. He has that element of like Buddy the Elf anyway, um, where he's like just a little bit insane. Oh, 100%. And the, like, ugly guy from Fleabag was his, like, number one. And the mm-hmm. guy from Sex Education was in there, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, the cast was just fucking nuts. Yeah, it was, and, like, it, it, it like, especially with Emerald Fennell showing up, I think, it's a testament to the thing that, that Greta Gerwig was making. Yeah. That those kind of people wanted to be in this film. Yes, a hundred percent. And literally not really having not having a line Much not to like, do. Yeah. 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 Um and like Issa Rae as the president. Oh my god. She was so funny. She's so funny. And so just like all of it was so good. I really can't say enough of it. It's just it's a delight for the eyes and the senses. I left felt just uplifted uplifted Mm -hmm. top to bottom oh and like john cena showing up in like once the (laughs) men once the kens take over uh and like the mojo dojo casa house is just incredible like yeah it's it was it was incredible i loved everything about that change like i just thought it was so 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 funny um, so funny and love how Alan just like cannot find a place in this <laughs> this new state of toxic masculinity and then he just fucking karate chops what 10 to 12 Kens on the outskirts yeah. of town the construction worker Kens yes! yes oh I think that was my favorite line in the movie when they enter the real world and Barbie says, oh, good, a construction site. Let's get some real female energy. (laughs) There's not a single woman around. No, no. Oh, God. Well, and just the way that what was really interesting is what I liked about how she changed as she was in the real world. Like, she wasn't able to articulate, obviously, like, how she was feeling. Except that when she and Ken were, like, rollerblading there in their, like, hysterical hysterical yeah. fluorescent outfits like you would have seen them coming from 19 miles away no questions asked um but she's like you know ken mentions how he is like not feeling unsafe at all and she's like oh i don't i i feel very unsafe and it's just like a great comment on how she's then treated by these like strangers who she doesn't have to interact with again or whatever but like you know she like automatically recognizes that something is very very wrong 
Yeah, even just being seen was a sense of unease. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page for it, and it says here um, that Margot Robbie said that the film's aim was to subvert expectations and give audiences the thing you didn't know you wanted, and I think that that is a great summary of it. Yes, absolutely. Achievement unlocked. Great job. Yeah, did I had no idea what to expect. Like I saw, like I said, I saw a couple of like the photos and stuff, a couple of like tiny clips. Saw that like opening snippet with like the girls playing with the baby dolls and then like smashing yeah. them to shit, Showing which them. is his stare. The one, the girl with the glasses, was my favorite. Um, yes, amazing reference to two thousand one. Yeah, it's like just absolutely incredible, and I that's all I'd really knew, known about it and like who was in it. And I was like, I, okay, I'm gonna go see this. Um, and I don't know what to expect. And then I watched it and I was like, that is one of the best movies I've seen in a really long time. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think it's, it did a lot given the corporate, <laughs> the corporate pressure, I'm sure that they had to portray this copyright and trademark doll in a certain way right it's owned by Mattel so I'm sure that Greta had to do some convincing in order for this to even happen so good on her Mm -hmm. I also really liked when Barbie went to see weird Barbie like it's she's Margot Robbie is stereotypical Barbie and so when she goes to see weird Barbie because two things have happened well three things had happened to her um, she had these thoughts of death, yeah. which like everybody was shocked by. Oh, and she had bad breath in the morning, yeah, which she'd never experienced before. Uh, and then her feet went flat, and she had cellulite. Yeah. Uh, which, oh like, God, the cellulite! Oh man, it was so funny. But when she goes to see Weird Barbie, and Weird Barbie's like, "Well, here's how you got to fix it," and she explains to her, she's got to go and find the the girl who's playing with the dolls, and like fix the problem there and then it'll fix the problems in Barbie land and blah, 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 blah. And then she gives her two options that she can either stay behind and like pretend that everything's fine or she can choose to go through the portal and like fix things. And the footwear that she's given to go through the portal are Birkenstocks. Yeah. (laughs) And she wants to just pick the high heels. She's like, no, I just want it to be back to normal. I don't want to have to do anything hard whatsoever yeah. pretend everything's perfect she's like no you you're supposed to choose the biggest yeah which is like, but i just love that the footwear for like finding out like for problem solving is birkenstocks like there's just something about that that i thought was really great yeah lesbians across the world felt seen in that moment absolutely but also like her outfit at the end had some very sensible pink burks mm-hmm Loved it. That bit at the end where she chooses to, like, join the real world. And then she gets dropped off at this place, which I just expected she was, like, going for a job interview or something. Yes. Like, that's the way that they framed it. Looks like some sort of corporate office. Yeah, and she gets out of the car and she <laughs> goes into this building. And she's good there to see a gynecologist, which is just, like, the funniest thing. Especially because when Ken and Barbie enter the real world, they're like, we don't have genitals. <laughs> well, Barbie says like, that. Ken's like, I have, I have all the genitals. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Because his masculine, that's the interesting thing, where in Barbie land, where the narrator talks about how Ken exists, he only has his best day ever when Barbie pays attention to him, whereas Barbie yes. has her best day ever every day, yeah. um, which is obviously the way it should be. But... Um, 
Ken feels because those guys are laughing at him, right? They're laughing at him because he's dressed in like fluorescent pink and yellow and like got the rollerblades and the sweatband and all these things. And they're kind of, they're not really acknowledging him so much, but they're not paying enough attention to him. And he yeah. hates it. And then when Barbie basically says that Ken doesn't have a penis, he gets like very, his, his whole idea of like his whole notion of self identity is like completely shattered by this. Yeah. Um, and so he has to, like, he overcompensates, and it's just so funny. And then the, the whole way that he, like, the whole way that he deals with, like, learning about the patriarchy is very interesting. And when he gets to the point when they're back in Barbie land and everything is fixed again, and he says, honestly, when I found out it, it had nothing to do with horses. Do horses. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, that's so funny. It's so funny. It's because it's a very childlike description of what like manhood is right Mm -hmm. it's like outdoorsy and it's strong and it's john wayne and it's westerns (laughs) yeah yeah and and having um like having when he's when they're in century city and that guy comes out of the building in like the fur coat and like you know he's like he sees like what the possibilities are and that these men can like (laughs) exist without women And and i think it's when he sees those three guys talking and the assistant walks up and the one guy's like, not now. Like that is, I think, when he's like, oh, things could be better for me somehow. Yeah, you so can't be what you can't better. see. Oh man, <laughs> just absolutely, just it's just ridiculous. Like it was absolutely ridiculous, and I loved every minute of it. Yeah, it was fantastic. I I am quite jealous that you've seen it a second time. I can't wait to watch it a second time, but. Yeah, my mom, well, because I'm on holidays, right? So mom's like, well, maybe one of the days you're off work, we can go see the Barbie. And she's like, I know you've already seen it. I was like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I'll go again. And it was was very, it was actually worth seeing again because there's lots of stuff that you might have missed because it's very much like a visual assault. Yes, 100%. Because the bits where they spend, the time that they spend in the real world is actually pretty small. Very small. They're not there, which is very opposite to what I was expecting, just based on what I had, the bits that I had seen. Yeah. And so it's very, there's lots of stuff happening visually um, and with the set design and whatnot, which is something that my mom really commented on. Like she was really impressed by the set design um, in Barbie land because it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'd want to live there. Yeah, and so it was neat to... Yeah, everybody gets their own dream house, uh, and there's no men in your home. Come on. Like, it's perfect. Unless you want them there. Unless you you want them there. Unless you want them to be there. Um, And it's really interesting that the Mattel CEO says that, you know, Barbie's in love with Ken. Um, And Barbie's like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Her... That was actually something where I was gonna ask you about now that you've seen it a second time because it's been what like three weeks since we saw it together or more than that jesus christ but Mm -hmm. what are barbie's feelings towards ken if there's any i think he hits it right on the head um in the song yeah where he's in love with her yeah and she, she just sees him as a friend Yes. Um, but like, I think, and I think the reason is where when she, at the beginning, when she says that like every night is girls night, mm-hmm. right? I think, in, I think with the dolls, I do think that the, um, 
I do think that the implication is that, like, Ken is her boyfriend, sort of. In a lot of ways, I feel like it's, like, Archie and Betty and Veronica. Where, like, Archie's oh, dating Betty. Yeah, I feel like it's very much like that. Um, where Barbie and Ken are boyfriend-girlfriend when it's convenient for Barbie to have a boyfriend, and then they're not when it's not. Gotcha. Okay. Like, when she's in medical school... <laughs> probably doesn't need Ken. Like, do you know what I yes. mean? Like those kind of yes. things. And so right. I think, I think that's where, uh, I think that's kind of what it is. Like, I'm just looking actually at the Wikipedia about, um, Barbie. This is really funny. Um, she has an on off romantic relationship with her then boyfriend, Ken. His full name is Kenneth Sean Carson, uh, who first appeared in 1961. A news release from Mattel in February, 2004 announced that Barbie and Ken had decided to split up. But in February 2006, they were hoping to rekindle uh, their relationship after Ken had a makeover. That's hysterical. Um, <laughs> uh, and then there's uh, Barbie Dreamhouse Adventures that was released in 2018. They were seen as just friends, like next door neighbors, kind of. And so there are like different, you know, companions for Barbie. Like, she's got her sisters and she's got, right. you know, um, Alan, I guess. Uh, and then Midge. And like there's different, um, different, like, friends for Barbie ultimately. Um, but yeah, I kind of feel like the Barbie and Ken thing is like, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the implication is that this is a more modern take on it where Barbie doesn't need him. Like when, when he asks to stay over and she's like, why? Yeah. Like what, for, like for what purpose? And it's not, it's not because she's like, it's not like a prudish thing or whatever, but she does not see the point in having him stay at her house. Yeah. Basically. Very funny. It is really funny. Uh, and I thought that like, and, and again, I thought that, that Ryan Gosling played that just to perfection. Oh yeah. He's like desperate. <laughs> oh, so desperate. Um, and like when he sees her the first time when, when like when the narrator tells us that, that Ken exists, uh, his happiness is only because, you know, Barbie pays attention to him or whatever. And then when you see it, you know, like, you can see how when she's talking to literally anyone else, he gets, he's like... He's upset, yeah. He's, yeah, he, and he wouldn't know how to, like, quantify that emotion. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's upset about it. And so he, like, runs into the waves and gets bounced, which, again, when the car flips and the doll, like, all of that stuff, that's totally how, like, the motion is, like, how you would play with them. Which I thought was really, really great. Like, none of, like, yeah. when Ken's flipping around there, you can tell he's on wires, and that's totally fine. Oh, yeah. All the physical comedy was absolutely hysterical. Like, the ambulance coming to him, mm-hmm. all of that was so fucking Well, funny. and the ambulance, the way that it opened up, right? Like, like a Barbie ambulance would have. Yes. And stuff, and, like, oh, I just thought it was, yeah, all of that was so, so good. But, yeah, when he flips, or when the cars flip, and they just land and everything's fine. Yeah. Um... I thought that was really good. And then when he asks her if he can sit in the front seat, and she's like, no. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So good. Um, I would say six out of five stars. Like, it was so good. (laughs) I gave it six Barbie dream houses out of five Barbie dream houses. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, And the thing, too, that I noticed yesterday that I didn't really notice the first time is when the Kens were fighting and the women were, like, uh, taking back their country um, <laughs> while the Kens were fighting with each other. Uh, once the Kens came back to the dream houses, the big Hummer was, like, still there, but it was just a Barbie Hummer now. 
Like yeah. it had been, it, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, rather than getting rid of it and changing it back to how it was before, they left the stuff. They just like made it Barbie again. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was good. It was. I. I mean, and someone was like, "Oh, there's no plans for a sequel," and I'm like, "Why would there be? There yeah. doesn't need to be a sequel." No. No, absolutely not. If only to continue the reddit threads of i took my boyfriend to the barbie movie and now we broke up yes (laughs) (laughs) which is incredible in and of itself um yeah talk about like cultural influence yes a hundred percent one thousand one thousand percent oh so according to wikipedia Simu uh, Liu was tourist Ken. That was his... Tourist Ken. Okay. Yeah, that was his job. Then there was basketball Ken. Uh, and then Scott Evans was stereotypical Ken. Yeah. Yeah. And then artist Ken. And then Ken made. <laughs> that was John <Johnson. laughs> But, like, it's interesting because you have tourist, basketball, stereotypical artist, right? Sugar Daddy, Earring Magic Ken. I do remember the Earring Magic Ken. But then the Barbie occupations in the movie? President, writer, physicist, doctor, lawyer, judge, journalist, diplomat. Like... Yeah, 100%. It's great. It's the Proust Barbie. So funny. Um, They just crushed it. They crushed it top to bottom. Really did. Uh, It was phenomenal. And now I read that Mattel is, like, trying to to market and sell, like, a, a, a weird Barbie... Yeah, and I'm like, and it's you, like you, you, you missed the point. Give us Alan. <laughs> yeah, give us Alan, but also Weird Barbie cannot be sold. Weird Barbie can only be made. She can only be made. Yeah, and by and only be made by the person playing with the Barbie. Mm-hmm. I just um, can't get over that kick in the crotch. It's so fucking funny. It is so funny because when every time every time someone new comes to Weird Barbie's house, she's always in the splits. She's always stuck in the fucking splits. Like once you fuck up those hip joints, there's no going back. It's true. It's oh, it's so so good. But yeah, she did, like and she like drop kicked that thing in the crotch. Like it was not like it was. It was an act violent. Of violence. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, okay, do we have anything else we want to say about Barbie? Because we have another movie to talk about. No, let's do it. Okay, so the other one is uh, Oppenheimer, because, um, holy shit. <laughs> like, there could not be more cognitive dissonance between these two things. 100%. Uh, and yet, as we all know, they were released on the same day. Um, mm-hmm. Both to, like, great acclaim. Um, they could not be more different. No, I mean... But they are (laughs) both incredible movies. Like, Oppenheimer is an incredible film. I mean, one's a, like, who's who of people who changed the world, and the other one's full of Oppenheimers, you know? Yeah, it's true. But, like, the cast in Oppenheimer is incredible. Um, It's, yeah, it's it's incredible the people that he got to, like, come and be in this movie. Even to have, like, six lines, right? Like, just some of the people that showed up to be, like, Rami Malek? Why is he there? Um... Yeah, 100%. Just to be in this, like, big thing. Anyway, the movie absolutely, I don't know, it blew my mind. Like, it was incredible. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it was... This is also a movie that I think struggles to reconcile with public perceptions of what this movie should be. Because it's not called The Manhattan Project. It's not called Fat 
fat man or little boy is called Oppenheimer, right? And mm-hmm. people were pissed about how there's not enough, like, reflection on the Japanese and, like, how this harms them and blah, blah, blah. It's like, did you not watch the fucking movie? Mm-hmm. Because it's not about that. It's about his legitimate moral quandary and mm-hmm. struggling to reconcile that like his his scientific drive and his scientific brain with the like physical moral and ethical consequences of what his discoveries have done Mm -hmm. well and the way that the way that the film was the story was told it was framed around um like oppenheimer's uh security clearance hearing and also a senate confirmation hearing for yeah. uh, Louis Strauss and then the stuff that happens. So it wasn't told in chronology, which I think was interesting. A lot of it is told in flashback and sort of, you know, events are referenced in these hearings and then you go back and sort of see them take place. And mm-hmm. I liked that because otherwise, if it had been a chronology, it would have just like plotted along. Yes. Um, where this, it, I mean, it was already three hours. And honestly, it been there were things four and where a half. I was like... It, it would have been four and a half if it, had been, if it had been, like, a pure chronology. Because there's no way to, like, make sense of some stuff. But what I found, what I really, really liked about it is as the, as the story went on, as the film went on, I liked Oppenheimer a lot more. I found, yes. found him to be a much more sympathetic character than, like, I did his wife, for example. Um, yeah, totally. I think there's... There's a lot to be said there for the impact that his actions had on her, though, because, like, he was not a faithful man. No. In any sense of the word. And, like, you can tell that she struggles with a lot without much support other than a bottle every once, maybe a bit too often. But I think you and I had said this together is like I do not remember Emily Blunt ever playing someone so unlikable the only thing you're right and the only thing I can think of where she's as unlikable and it's I mean it's very circumstantially different is uh the girl on the train true but you're still somewhat sympathetic to her there yeah there comes a point in that movie where or in the book or whatever where you're sympathetic but like in this one yeah and you understand like in with girl on the train like why she's sort of acting the way that she is but initially she's very unlikable yes Um, 100 percent. and then once you figure it out you're like oh okay whereas this one that she does not have like there's nothing redeeming and it for me it's when she it's when she like leaves her children right when she leaves her child like to be cared for by someone else because she just cannot be bothered yeah um but like, yeah, I don't know. There was there was something about what I really liked about this. And yeah, you're right. It's called Oppenheimer and that's what it's about. And it's not about, we didn't get a bunch of character development on a ton of other people. And we didn't really need it because yeah. that wasn't the point. The point was him and sort of, and I think what I think is really cool uh, about it is like how as a student, he knew that there was more to physics than what had a, to that point been sort of discovered like he knew there was more out there but there's not there was it was tough to know like where to look to be able to start to find that and like to me i think it's so cool when people like just discover new things and can see the world and to can see the world in a way that the rest of us just can't and i think that they did a really good job of showing 
the struggle that he had there, not just, um, you know, trying, trying to figure out, be like, no, there's something more out in the world than just these things that we know. And so when he's like stuck in that chemistry lab and he sucks cause he hates it, uh-huh. uh, and then tries to poison his tutor, uh-huh. um, you know, and then finally, you know, comes, that's his like first like little ethical quandary and then realizes like goes and tries to fix that problem, which is good. Um, and if he has, doesn't fix that problem, then like maybe they don't ever discover this and maybe this project never gets off the ground. Totally. But I think it also represents like how much of a steamroller he could be in terms mm-hmm. of like the work, right? Like just doing the work, doing the work, doing the work, not really thinking about the consequences of what the work might entail. Like in a fit of emotion, he decides to poison and then the apple and then Niels Bohr, who's someone he's super, super looks up to, mm-hmm. sort of caught in the crossfires of that. And that's like, you know, when he has his real moment of regret. I don't think he really cared if he was actually going to kill his no. teacher. It was more like, oh, Niels Bohr is a greater mind. Yes, and, and yeah, and, and there is that like level where he clearly doesn't respect his tutor. Yes, 100%. at all. Um, because the tutor doesn't respect the work that he's doing either. Um, but no, I just like the whole, the whole thing was just like, I don't know. It was, it was a really interesting way to tell, um, to tell the story of a person that like people think they kind of know about. Yeah. hundred percent. Or at least a process or an event that they think they know about. Right. But they also really don't there's a lot of things that they don't talk about that are just kind of little Easter eggs, like Klaus Fuchs being a spy. Mm-hmm. He's always the one looking longer or trying to take photos or doing mm-hmm. this, doing something he shouldn't do. He always has to be reminded to like, put your head down, put your head down, put your head down. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of these little Easter eggies sort of things for, you know, people who are, historically minded to like see these people pop up and then kind of disappear from the narrative mm-hmm. to become like huge sort of uh, ammunition for Strauss in the end right it's like Strauss yeah. is always holding on to these to be used at a later date yeah, well, it's interesting. Like, look if you look at the Wikipedia page for the movie, and you look at the cast. Oh, it's all blue. It's, it's all blue. blue. Yeah, everything is like, oh, here's a person, it's like who played a person. Yeah, yeah. Um, and th- which is kind of like, which is nice that that they that he didn't like amalgamate people. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are some like, um, what's his face? Uh, Alden Ehrenreich. It's just his Senate. We don't have a name for him. And like, it doesn't really matter who he is. He's not I actually he all that great. important. He was really, really good. Um, but I, I would imagine that that might've been an amalgam, right? Yeah. There would have probably been more than one aid. And so they just make it one just to make it a little bit easier. Um, to sort of yeah. deal with that. But like, it's, it's interesting that you have all these people and some of them aren't in the movie for very long uh, and they don't have a lot of screen time. Um, but they are, you know, the real person. Can we shout out Josh Hartnett? Can we ever? Who was fucking phenomenal in this movie. I -hmm. had no idea he was going to be in the movie whatsoever. Didn't see him in any, like, trailers, 
press photos, yada, yada, yada. And he came in and he crushed it. He did. He was incredible. Um, and he... Yeah, he was a surprise. I haven't yes. seen him in stuff in, a, in something new in a really long time. Um, and he was quite a surprise um, showing up there. Such a surprise. Looked great, by the way. Oh, my like, God, yeah. Aging like a fine wine. Mm-hmm. But also had what I would call range, which I would n- not really have prescribed to him previous to this. <laughs> No, well, it's, you know, it's funny. I'm looking at his, like, the stuff that he's done over the last... He's been working. He's done lots of stuff. He took oh, a bit of a hiatus. He, I don't but, doubt like, he's been working. But there's not a lot of stuff that I've heard of that he's done in the last while. Yeah. Um. The last thing that he did that had any kind of, other than being an Oppenheimer, that had any kind of, like, real critical acclaim uh, was in 2008. Um... In a movie called August. Um, and that was a, it was like a Sundance film festival. Oh, interesting. Sort of deal. Yeah. So like, that's been a while since he's done something that got him like big attention. And um, I like, and it was a big part. It was a big part. He did a lot of hefty, heavy lifting. Like he's in the room with some big mm-hmm. hitters in certain areas. I didn't. I don't think Matt Damon was very good. He could have been anybody else, to be honest. Yeah, he could have. It's kind of like when Matt Damon shows up in Interstellar, though. Right? It's like, oh, there's Matt Damon. Like, do you know what I mean? There's something about him. There's there's very few roles that I see him in, especially now that he's getting older, where I don't recognize him as Matt Damon. Yeah. Right? Like, it's hard. Disappear into. No, not like say like in the Bourne movies, he disappeared into yes. the role. He doesn't do that anymore. Maybe he doesn't have to. I don't know. But yeah, it was Matt Damon pretending to be um, somebody in the army. Yeah, I honestly would have loved Kenneth Branagh as that role instead mm-hmm. of Niels Bohr. Yeah, that would have been that would have been probably would have worked a little bit better. It felt he's a got bit that more like gra- age appropriate, yeah. Yeah, and he's got that gravitas to him, where I think that would have, that would have worked out well. Um, but what was interesting about like the film and the way that they showed sort of the building of Los Alamos and stuff, um, whereas like even if the film had been called Los Alamos instead of Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. that would have been a different story. Like it, it yes. changes. It, well, so you this would is have a- seen like the criticality incidents and like people died, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Whereas here it's just like yeah. You know, steamroll success, steamroll success. We're we're sort of sure that once we do this test, the whole universe isn't gonna burn up, but we're not quite sure. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we're like we're pretty sure, but also duck. <laughs> uh, the thing that I thought was the most insane is when they actually did the test, and they gave these guys like a welding glass to look through. And I was like, I mean, I get it. like puts on sunscreen, (laughs) just like sits there ready to take it in. (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, that's okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Which was just like, he was great. I had seen, or so earlier in the week, I had seen, um, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. And Benny Safdie plays the father in that. How does he? Um, which if you get a chance to see it, you should. It's great. Like it's phenomenal. It was so nice and lighthearted and like gentle. It was a really good, like, it's it's a movie that reminded me a lot of, like, 
Babysitter's Club, like, in the 90s. Like, oh, it's yeah. a movie made for, like, preteen girls and their moms, basically. Yeah. Uh, and so you get... Anyway, he was in it, and so it was funny to see him as, like, this kind of, like, this kind, very, like, oddball sort of father character on Monday, and then on Saturday, <laughs> see him in, uh, in Oppenheimer as, you know, um, a physicist with, I would say, uh, an axe to grind. Uh, I a mean, little bit. yeah. <laughs> like, just a little bit. Uh, and it was just the juxtaposition of the two roles. I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's the, the guy's got a little bit of range. Isn't that interesting? Because um, I'd forgotten that he was also in Oppenheimer. And so then when he showed up on screen, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. And then, you know, and yeah, his his role there, He, I think he played it so, so well. Yeah, I think so, too. It was... It was... It was very interesting who they cast for all of these different parts. And it was really, I really liked, in terms of, like, scenes that I thought were really, really impactful, I thought that the fucking Casey Affleck, ugh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That whole scene where... Oppenheimer just like says something off the cuff in terms of the double scrutiny he's under as you know someone developing this weapon of mass destruction as well as someone who has like socialist I mean saying it kindly socialist leanings Mm -hmm. but just his absolute either disregard or genuine honestly like incompetence in understanding the impact that these like associations or meetings or friendships or decisions that he's making Mm -hmm. is gonna have on other people was Mm mind-blowing just how little forethought or empathy he had for other people like these were career killing decisions he was making and he just like makes it on the fly and like tries to backpedal and Matt Damon's character has to be like are you fucking kidding me the guy who you talk to like wants to torture people Mm -hmm. like you can't just go say these things to protect your friends even if they're Mm -hmm. not true like well and and it's one of those things where I think that that's sort of a commentary on how we have this perception of like research scientists oh totally and, and I think that that's very much a reflection of, like, how we as a society view people who work in that research science field, whether they're physicists or chemists or, bi- or biologists or whatever kind of they're research just they happen so to be doing. They're just so in it. Yeah, like, the, it's just tunnel vision yeah. the entire time. And it's really hard, I think, for them to, like, reconcile, you know, the humanity behind it. But what was really interesting is that's what I liked about the way that the film was structured, because as he would go back to the hearings, like, to his own hearing... Yeah. Um he that's where we saw those shreds of humanity in him yeah whereas like while he was in the middle of the work you didn't really see any of it um and but once he's like away from the work and sort of sees what the impacts of his work have become that's where we start to see that humanity and he's like he's also very frustrated by the questions that come his way yeah. Because he's like, I've already said this. I've already, like, why do we have to do this again and again and again? This has already been said. This has already been written down. Like, why do I have to repeat myself? 
And it's oh. obviously because they're trying to trap him. But, like, he's just like, this is the answer to the question that you're asking. Why are you asking it again? How amazing was Jason Clark? He was incredible. Jason Clark is so underrated. Everything he's in, he is just fucking phenomenal. He was so good. What was his name? Prosecutor Rob? Ross? Rob. Yeah, Rob. Rob. Yeah. So, so incredible. So probing. So relentless. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful and to see like kitty's turn like emily blunt's character be mm-hmm. able to go toe-to-toe with him in a way that oppenheimer could not mm-hmm. was really really nice to see like how the fuck are these people still together mm-hmm. and like trying to understand what their marriage is but god jason clark was so fucking good he was he was he in that part of it, he absolutely, like, stole the show. The other person in that, like, tribunal who he didn't have as much to say, but who Sexy every president. time... He, uh, Tony Goldwyn, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but whenever I see him in anything, I go back to him in Ghost. Oh, interesting. Because he's such a fucking asshole. And, like, I can't get it out of my mind that he's an asshole. Really? And he plays it so so well, and like yeah, that's where that's where I go to, um, whenever I see him on screen. Like that's the first thing that I think of him in, and I'm always like, I'm gonna hate this guy, aren't I? And I usually do, to be perfectly honest. Usually he plays does not play a role where I'm very sympathetic to him at all, and I like did not like him in this. I wasn't supposed to like him, but I did not like him in this. No, you weren't supposed to like him, but he wasn't as extreme as Jason Clark's character. Like no. they try I think they tried to put him there in a sense of balance. Um and I'd say on the other far side of that like spectrum is the old gentleman beside him who's like mm-hmm. he's the one who dissents I think from the judgment. Yes, and he's he's much more sympathetic to what's going on, and is yeah. is also kind of unswayed by like the manipulation tactics that Rob is putting forth. Yes, a hundred percent. Can we talk about the explosion for a second? Sure, sure, sure. So one of the th- I teach Interstellar as a film study uh, in grade eleven. You're going to bring this up. <laughs> well, and it's one of the things where uh, this is how I know when kids aren't paying attention um, because when. Matt Damon, fucking Matt Damon, uh, when he blows the airlock, on, this is not spoilers, this movie came out in 2014, if you haven't seen it by now, that's a you problem. Uh, when he blows the airlock on the Endurance, it's all this panic inside, and you have all this noise, and then the camera switches to, like, outside the ship, and so, of course, in space, there's no sound. And it's silent when it blows up, and this is how I know when kids aren't paying attention, is because it's all of a sudden silent, and so they look up to see, like, you know, what's happening, did I stop the movie, whatever. Um, the very same thing. He, like, Nolan employed the very same thing. But yeah. the, the distant, the silence was longer, and then the noise was so much louder than I anything I was expecting. Um, I knew it was going to come. Like, when the explosion happens and it's dead silent and whatever, I knew the noise was going to come. But, oh my god. Like, that whole, it, that was like, that was a poem in the film. Oh, absolutely. It was just gorgeous. And hearing his heartbeat and really dialing in to not only, like, the 
emotional resonance of like what the lack of sound means, but like, uh, you just got to give it up to Nolan for like how much he respects physics of like the light's going to hit you first. <laughs> well, he's got the same guy, that, the same like black hole uh, physicist who was on Interstellar was on the, the oh, Kip crew. Thorne? Like, I saw Kip Thorne was in this. Oh, was, great. was part of the crew as well. So he clearly, the thing about a Nolan film, and this is one of the only films that he's made that's not like, other than Dunkirk, that's not like weirdo science fiction. Um, but like he he likes to get the details as correct as possible yeah. when it comes yeah. to that kind of stuff. Um, and so like although you know that it's going to be good, but it was just like that whole scene just absolutely blew me away. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I was so fucking stressed out with that bomb just hanging there in the lightning. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I was like, no wonder these guys just chain smokes twenty four seven, right? I fucking need a cigarette now. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was good. And the score was really, really tense. Yeah, 100%. Did you like those, uh, sort of like, they're much more prevalent in the start. These, I don't know how we want to describe them, but these like, symbolic cuts to like atoms moving and photons moving and these like I think it's supposed to be like the inner workings of his mind imagining quantum physics yada 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 Mm -hmm. yada Mm -hmm. what was your take on that I think I kind of liked it because I think for a lot of people um they like most people have no idea what any of this like what this actually means. Yeah. Right. Like the the only movie that I can think of that I've seen that's really talked about like, uh, the actual scientific like process behind all this is the Saint. Do you remember the Saint? I do know it. Um, it's with Val Kilmer uh, and Elizabeth Shue was like in the late nineties. And but they talk there. It's it's an ener- there's trying to somebody's trying to steal like an energy plan basically, and like and it's designed to be like clean energy, et cetera, et cetera. And they sort of talk about the inner workings of like what this technology is. And I think what those cuts were to sort of show it was it felt at the beginning a little bit like a beautiful mind in that yeah. way. Where he's like, but I, I kind of think it was like the inner workings of his mind, but also how he sees the world, right? And so I think that that's important to know for us as an audience that like he didn't necessarily see the world the way that like everybody else did. Yeah, it's very impersonal, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's to steal a book from or to steal a quote from another source, another Jason Clark <laughs> vehicle. <laughs> he's careless. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, and and he is, but like he just his mind works so differently than what the average person's mind works like. I think to show that at the beginning gives us as an audience like a way into that to know that like this person that we're going to be learning about isn't isn't, isn't going like to you. act yeah yeah isn't like you and isn't going to act the way that you might expect him to totally because like Oppenheimer's kind of a jackass kind of. He absolutely uh, is. No, but he is, right? Like, he, he's a jackass, and it just is what it is. Like that, but, but at the same time, I don't think he sees himself that way, right? He's just, he's very matter-of-fact, and it's very reflected in, again, in the questions in those here in that hearing, where he's just like, I've already answered this. Like, yeah. why are you asking me this again? And he, he really doesn't see necessarily a, 
a, a gray area to, it's like, a, it's a yes or no. I did this at this time. I did this at this time. This was the reason. Move on. Like, mm-hmm. he he doesn't really see the the point and purpose of all these hashing out of these concerns. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, if I was trustworthy then, I should be trustworthy now. Why is this yes. even... And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Like, that's a fair, you know, and then I think what was interesting, too, is the framing of the Senate confirmation hearing for Strauss, which I thought was a really interesting thing as well. Um, Because we see that at play here in all of this, there was like a much bigger game afoot than anyone really knew about. And that Oppenheimer was absolutely a pawn in this game and had no, no idea. Totally. And it's really interesting to see them as polar opposites, where Oppenheimer is, like, not thinking about anybody else ever, whereas Louis Strauss is like, everyone's thinking about me all the time. (laughs) They're all thinking about me, and they're all talking about me, and they're all plotting against me, and I'm keeping score of every single thing, and Oppenheimer is like, what the fuck? Well, and honestly, casting Robert Downey Jr. in that role... So good! ...is so good because of that narcissism, basically. Yes. Right? Like, because we know that Robert Downey Jr. can play an ultra-narcissist. We've seen it in all of the the movies where he's Tony Stark, right? Yeah. And the way... And he's just got that that way about his voice more than anything. Like, his physical presence is one thing. But the way that he speaks, that, like, very matter-of-fact... It's matter of fact and like authoritarian at the same time. Yeah, and it's also, but it's, but we also can see once, like once you're about halfway through and they keep flipping back to the hearing, you're like, ah, oh, something weird's going on here. Yeah, you can see the manipulation in the way that he speaks as well. Totally. Um, and like that con- where he where he witnesses that conversation between Oppenheimer and Einstein, um, and he's like convinced that they're like plotting against him, and really they're just talking about you know, the consequences of nuclear energy. Yeah. Like what comes, what comes after this? What have you done? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the thing that I found the most interesting is like knowing that later when he, when he gets that award later on, um, that it's not for him. Right. And that, that understanding that it's like sort of an apology from other people basically for like, yeah, the way that they've treated him in the past. And I think that, you know, his, I think Oppenheimer is like aware enough to be cynical about those things. Yeah. Um, because like in the time, you know, like the technology that they created was great. And we, I was talking to my dad about this cause he was thinking about maybe going, maybe taking my mom and I was like, nah, she'll fall asleep. Um, cause it's just so long. Like there's no way she'd stay awake. And so, uh, but I said to him, I was like, if you really want to go see it and you don't want to go by yourself, I'll go again. Um, and we were talking about the technology and stuff. Yeah. And I said, yeah, the thing about the technology that as they were creating it, I don't think anybody necessarily understood what the impact of like, what they thought at the time would be like a short term exposure to that kind of radiation would be. I don't think anybody really knew. It's like, cause you had like Marie Curie who died of like radiation poisoning, but yeah. that was like prolonged exposure. exposure. Yes. And so like that, you're like, oh, that we don't want to do that, obviously. Yeah. So, like, how do we... And so I think... I said, I think when they built the bomb, I think they understood that there was going to be some side effects and some, like, consequences to it. But I don't think they understood the longevity of those side effects and the longevity of those consequences. Like, I don't I don't believe that they did. And I said, and that's one of the reasons why I don't think we've seen nuclear weapons used since then. 
to be perfectly honest, because nobody wants to be responsible for that. Totally. Um, and I, I think too, that there's this, there's this question of, oh, sorry, I'm just trying to find the confirmation. Cause I think the criticality accidents actually happened after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So I just want to confirm that. Cause I remember being having my mind absolutely fucking blown that there was a Canadian scientist that was killed at Los Alamos by uh, an accident. Bum, 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 bum. Um, so there were 60. Um, so there's like been 60 uh, known criticality accidents between 1945 and 1999. Um, so they were all in 45 though. Like that's when they started. Yes. Yeah. It was out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was after, I think. So that's why I was like, I wonder if they, in terms of the narrative of the film, I was like, I wonder if they're being accurate as to the timeline of this and, like, legitimately mm-hmm. not knowing. Like, the amount of times they could have gotten it wrong and somehow didn't is, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first fatal one was after the bombs yeah, were dropped in that's Japan. What I there thought. were there were t- there were two before, one at, two both at Los Alamos. One uh, uh, Otto Fritsch, he received a Otto, larger than intended yes. dose of radiation because he was leaning over the device for a couple of seconds, and he noticed that the red lamps uh, were glowing instead of flickering, mm-hmm. and so his body reflected some neutrons back to the device. So then it was multiplying the neutrons and he leaned back in a wave where he basically, um, and got rid of a couple of blocks of uranium where he escaped harm. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, so that was in 1944. And then in 1945 in June, uh, three people received non-fatal doses of radiation from, um, an experiment. They were trying to determine the effect of surrounding a subcritical mass of enriched uranium with a water reflector. And then water leaked into the box holding the metal. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And then the first fatal one was in uh, 1945. Okay. After the bomb was dropped. Which is really interesting. And it was so like radiation. It was radiation poisoning and the guy died like 25 days later. Yeah. It was like long. Yeah. Is that the Canadian guy? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, no. No, okay. Um, no. So that's why I was like, oh, okay, interesting. This really reflects on, like, they've had some accidents, and the accidents have been, you know, mild to say the best, I guess. Mm-hmm. And they perhaps did not, I'm speaking out of my ass here in terms of how much they knew that this was going to fuck everybody up over there. But in terms of like destructive power, they knew it was going to be huge, but the long lasting lingering effects is what Oppenheimer struggles with. And I really did like his, that very fascistic (laughs) scene of all the people. Oh, I also fucking hated how they called him Oppie. Ugh. Every time they said Oppie, I wanted to throw up in my fucking mouth. Like, what an infantilized nickname. Ugh, mm-hmm. hated it. Anyway, when the very fascistic scene, when, like, all those young, blonde hair, blue-eyed people are cheering for him with 
American flags in their little mm-hmm. grandstands at Los Alamos, and he's like, to victory! I bet the Japanese didn't like it! And then he, like, envisions all these just absolutely yeah. dusty mm-hmm. skulls he's stepping on as he leaves the building. Which I thought was, I thought was an, a good, I think thought that was, like, a nice way to sort of look at the dilemma behind it. Because, like, as he's building... You know, as he's working on this, right? And it, what's interesting is he's the guy who's sort of credited with all this, but, like, the film really gives us a look at, like, how this was very much a team effort. 100%, yeah. You know, and it wasn't just him, right? And so, but he's the one, because he's German-born and because he was a communist and, like, all of these things, he's the one who I think is under the most scrutiny for his involvement um, later on, like, with the security clearance issues and those sorts of things. And, and But I think that scene gives us a really nice look into, like, what his biggest fear was and what Einstein's fear was yeah. about all of this is like, okay, well we did it now. Like what's going to happen. Right. And yeah. I think you're right. They knew they understood the short term destructive power, but they, I don't think they understood the long term ramifications. Yeah. Of it. And, and honestly, and I, that's an indictment of wartime progress, right? Yes. Like the full, full force of, it's for war. We need to do this. We need to end the war. We need to mm-hmm. do whatever we can. Steamroll, steamroll, steamroll. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Well, and even when they were building like the test site itself, right. And figuring out what the safe distance was going to be yeah. in order to not be exposed to the, that flash in the beginning. Right. Yeah. And like not, nece- not knowing that like next time out... it'll be farther away. <laughs> Yeah, but also not knowing that being outside in in it, even though you're not, like, getting blown up by it, that not knowing that being outside in it is going to have an effect on you at some point in time. Totally. Um, Take the shit. But yeah, I thought... Like, I... Yeah, that was good. Uh, I thought that the film was also... It's a Nolan film, and his cinematographer is phenomenal. And it was beautiful. Oh, totally. Like, it's beautifully shot, and I think it almost, like, it, I don't want to say it romanticizes it, but it, it lends this sort of air of, like, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. But it, it, it's, it, it's a, it doesn't, the film itself and the way that it's constructed sort of belies the brutality of the film itself. No, totally. Because it's so beautiful and it's so well shot and the score is so good. And all of those elements that come together and then, like, the story itself is tragic. Yes, of course. Very tragic. Like, that's... And I think that when people are critiquing it, I think they think it's not tragic enough. Yeah, and and like you said before, it's not about the actual dropping of the bomb. Yeah. That's the end result, but it's not actually about that. It's not about the long-term effects on the people... Uh, on whom the bombs were dropped. It's not about that either. It's about the person it's called behind the process. American Prometheus for a reason. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and but it, it's about the person, and I think that knowing about the person is helpful in learning a little bit about the process as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like, and it's crazy that those movies opened on the same day. Like, I think it's absolutely absurd. Totally. Yeah, totally. I think, um, also, we haven't said it, but Killian Murphy was fucking incredible in this movie. He was amazing. Like, disappeared into it. I 
I thought his voice work as Oppenheimer was really, really incredible. And the, the, the distance that he creates between people is really incredible as well. I saw something on one of, from one of the press tours about how when they were filming, he like didn't really hang out with the cast, didn't like have dinners with them or anything like that. Um, and p- one of the reasons is because he was learning uh, a whole bunch of like 30,000 words of Dutch so that he could speak, speak the Dutch. little bit of yeah. Dutch that he spoke properly. Also, um, he was so, so thin. Oh my God. He was yes. so thin in this movie. Like he's already thin to begin with, but yes. yeah. Um, but yeah, like he, he really immersed himself in the role in a way that like he, right. He completely disappeared into it. Um, like I forgot that it was him. Yeah, totally. Like this is no Peaky Blinders, you know? No. And he's not the kind of, like the thing about him is generally speaking, I don't forget that it's Killian Murphy because he's got very distinct features and an accent and you know, those sorts of things. And I, none of those things existed. Um, for me in this, like he, he just disappeared into the role completely. Absolutely. It's just and it was so good. It's yeah. It's, it's insane that we talked for 40 minutes and didn't mention it yet because this film wouldn't be nothing without, without him, him yeah. being the totem pole for it. For sure. It would be, I'm curious to know, like in terms of production, like if there was any, like anyone else who would have been attached to it. I don't think so. I think I don't Nolan think so either. Because I think to Killian Murphy for it because they work together for on fucking everything. Well, and that's what that's what he said. I saw like the little thing with him too. He's like, when Chris Nolan calls, you just answer the phone. Yes, and like, you say yes, and then you do, and you or and then you joked, but he's like, when his wife calls, you answer the phone because he doesn't have a phone apparently. Um, but like, yeah, he, like you just you say yes, and then you ask what the project is later, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's the sixth collaboration with the two of them. Um, Nolan called Murphy one day to ask him to play the part, and he said yes, and that was it. Like, there was no... There was nothing. There yeah. was no auditions. There was no, you know, like, no competition for it. He was the guy. Um, the casting... Pro- and again, typical Nolan fashion, the casting process was so secretive that some cast members did not know which role they would be playing until they signed on. So they were I like, mean, you want crushed in? it, right? Yeah. Like, crushed yeah. it top to bottom. Like, other than Matt Damon, I think it's just, like, T to be 100%. And that's mm-hmm. just my personal preference that I think a German actor would have been better as Niels Bohr, who I assume is German? Gotta uh, be. I think he's Dutch. No, I think he's Dutch. Is he Dutch? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's Dutch. Um, and... Like, getting someone with a bit more gravitas to be Damon would have yes. been better. I think the the thing with Damon that's challenging, I think he can, I think it's his voice is the challenge. Uh-huh. Where I don't buy the him trying to be authoritative. He was I great, don't like, buy in the him Martian. as a general whatsoever. No. No, and a lot of it has to do with his voice. It's not his fault. It is what it is. But, like, that's a lot of what the issue is. is yeah. It doesn't... To me, it doesn't command the attention that it would need to command. Totally. Um, <sighs> yeah. Well... Anyway, 
Uh, two great summer movies. Uh, cannot imagine being one of the people who saw both in one day. Yeah, um, both are a lot to process. Yeah, like Oppenheimer, my friend Jill and I went, it was in uh, an evening show. And it was funny because we decided to go to the into the AVX and like the biggest screen rather than the recliners, which was more comfortable, um, mm-hmm. knowing it would be on a smaller screen. So we went to the AVX because I think I said to her, I said, if we're not going to see this in IMAX, I think we have to see it on the biggest, like the biggest screen we can. Yeah, absolutely. With the That's best smart. possible sound. And it, I, and I think that definitely helped. Um, and then Barbie, like, it doesn't need the biggest screen possible. It's not no. that kind of movie. You don't need to see it on, like, the biggest screen imaginable. No. Um, I think it's fun. good to see in a theater capacity, though, because yes. for the just energy of the public viewing of it is so, so yes. much better. But, like, if, you go to, if you're go if you at a, you know, a big movie theater and it's on, like, the small screen that they have, it's still fine. I think yes. Oppenheimer needs the bigger screen treatment. Um, I think Barbie on an IMAX screen would be unbelievable, though. Especially, like, that beginning scene with the giant Barbie would be incredible. <laughs> I uh, think I would IMAX get, screen. like, sensory overload, though. <laughs> and, like, Maybe. need to go sit down somewhere else quiet and dark for a moment or two. Maybe. Maybe. Um... Can we talk really briefly, because I know you got to go right away, about people's behavior in movie theaters? For oh, just like God. A minute. Sure. So the screen of Barbie that we went to was fine. Uh, a friend of yours had, like, rented out a theater, and it was all, like, people that she knew. It was amazing. Um, and it was so good. It was so fun, and the energy was really high. The, the most noise that was made by anyone in the audience was, like, her daughter. Her baby. Because she's, like, what, <laughs> 11 months old? Like, okay, fine, whatever, <laughs> right? Like, I'm sure babies can make noise. It's not a big deal. And you have to understand, you have to expect if you're going to a movie like that or, like, something that's geared towards younger audiences, there's going to be a little bit of talking. There's going to be, it's going to happen because kids just yeah. can't. And that's fine. Um, Riva and I went to see, not Mission Impossible, no, Indiana Jones, maybe? Something. We went to see something. I don't know. And we ended up sitting... We were, we were at the Landmark Theater up in St. Albert, sitting, like, below the walkway or whatever. It was not ideal, but anyway, it was what it was. There was uh, there were two moms and their two kids um, in this movie, and the kids were probably, like, six and eight. Oh, Spider-Verse. They, it was Spider-Verse. Oh, Spider-Verse, yes. They did not shut the fuck up. They, yeah. like, talked the entire time. And then finally, someone else in the audience, like, got mad because, like, you know, we didn't pay to go to an evening movie to listen to these children talk. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing. But in... Oppenheimer. I didn't notice it in Barbie, and I didn't notice yesterday when my mom and I were there. But in Oppenheimer, Jill and I were sitting in the second to last row. So we were pretty far back. I cannot tell you how many times someone definitely, like, pulled out their phone at, like, full brightness and was doing something on their phone during the movie. Oh, 100%. Yep. I and saw I don't kids scrolling through it. TikTok. Like, I don't understand paying... In our case, we paid $19 to go see Oppenheimer, which isn't yeah. a ton of money, but, like, it's it's money, yeah. right? We we paid 19 bucks a piece, plus snacks, to go watch this movie. And, like, this kid or whoever is there also paid the same amount of money. And yet they cannot sit and, like, just be entertained without having some other kind of, like, external stimulus. And I just, like, it is mind-boggling. The guy behind us answered his phone three times. What? During the movie. Holy shit. Like, I, do, I don't understand. I'm not, like, if I'm watching a movie at home, I'll be on my phone because I'm watching at home. I don't care. But when I'm anywhere where there's other people around who could be disturbed by something that I'm doing, I'm very conscious of, like, the amount of noise that I make, never mind, like, being distracting. 
Yeah, like it's common fucking courtesy. Common courtesy. Well, oh, and I'm no, and I'm, stuff. I'm starting to notice it too. Like I saw there was some discourse about it on on Twitter, or X as it's now called apparently, um, which is hysterical. But anyway, there's some discourse about it, and people are like, well, sometimes you know you just you get kind of bored when you're like watching something. It's like yeah, learn how to be bored. <laughs> like just learn how to be bored and not have to have your phone out as a crutch. Yeah, totally. Because you're afraid to be alone with your thoughts or you're afraid to, like, look uncool because you're by yourself somewhere. Like, and if you're in a movie, even if you're bored, there's still things to watch and things to listen to. You don't need to, like, pull your phone out. And also, if you're that fucking bored, leave. Yeah. Leave. Yeah. Like, I don't pay the money that I pay to go watch a movie to see someone else's phone light up or to see someone, like, to listen to somebody talk on their phone or to listen to the people behind me, like talking their way through the movie that's not what i'm paying money for yeah i'm paying money to be immersed in an experience and to sort of be entertained totally and you are impacting that experience for me yeah yeah and like it's not a huge huge deal but also like i like i say i'm very cognizant of the kind of noise that i make if i'm in a movie like i try even not to move too much because like i don't want to disturb the people around me and then Uh there's people who are just like whipping out their phones you know and like live streaming the movie insane and i'm just like what what are you doing like just get out of here like you don't need to be here and so there's that theater chain uh in the that theater in like texas where the alamo draft house yeah um that i'm like uh, that's what we need we need like phones in bo- in like lock boxes well they've come with some uh uh negative press lately because they refuse to let your people unionize Yes, I know. But I like the idea of, like, an, an actual experience that's undisturbed by that stuff. Yes, totally. Because it's starting to get to the point. Because I now, like, and I kind of felt like some of the people in R&C Oppenheimer especially were there to see it, not because they were interested in the movie, but because, like, it's this People big are story. talking about it, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think because of the length of the movie, because of the subject matter, it's you have to be, like, prepared for the three hours to go yes. and see it. Like it's a long movie. Um, I think I only saw other than the dude behind us who finally like got up and took one of his phone calls. Uh, I only saw like three or four people leave to go to the bathroom too. Like there's it's, it was so tense. You didn't want, I didn't want to move. I thought. Yeah. I didn't see maybe anybody go. Um, but knowing that you have to be prepared to sit then for three hours and watch this thing and not like, you know, get up and move around because it's time. Whereas if you're going to go see like Barbie, you're going to go see like the Ninja Turtles movie or whatever. And there's kids around, like it's a different viewing experience and you kind of have to have different expectations. Yeah. But something big like this, I was just shocked at the number of people that like pulled out their phones and were doing things while the movie was taking place. Yeah. I think that's just because of the, the Barbie Heimer whole thing. People felt yeah. like compelled to be part of this cultural moment without maybe really understanding what they were about to see yeah and so that was the one thing that i thought like sullied my experience of it just because people were being jerks but like other than that like it was it was great two great movies in a great great summer um and there will never be it'll be a long time before there's another like big summer weekend like this where there's two giant movies coming out at the same time Mm -hmm. oh totally Uh, which is which is fine, but, like, it was nice for a couple weeks there where, like, that's all people were talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, and for good reason, right? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, well, I think we got to wrap it up because you got to go. Yeah, I got to go be on baby duty here in five minutes. And then at some point in time, there's a book that we're going to talk about at some point in time, maybe like end of August-ish or early September. Uh, I texted Kelsey and I was like, there's a hockey book that you need to read. And her response was, oh God, no. And I was like, no, trust me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, if this is nonfiction, Megan, I'm going to be fucking pissed. <laughs> and I was like, I would never. I don't even read nonfiction hockey books. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah. So that'll be, I won't tell you what it is, but that's going to be our next thing. Uh, and there's a whole pile of like weird internet stuff that has happened not because of that book so much but like other books in the genre uh that has got crazy so we'll talk about that too yeah and there's like i know we say this every time but like things have been so fucking crazy for me with croup and maxi going into a big boy bed and travel and i'm really really hoping that a fall is gonna <laughs> slow down a little bit right the ship a little bit mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so, too. It'd be good. It'd be good for you to have a little bit of normalcy. Yeah, God. In your life. Uh, well, that is all that we have for this month-ish. Um, I was going to say this week, but this month. Um, you can find our things on iTunes and Stitcher. No, Stitcher shut down, too. I think I got an email about that. So iTunes and SoundCloud, I guess. Um, yeah. Super. There's a website, I think. My Twitter. My project of the website continues. I did like, I think, 10 episodes in one go, and then I'm going to take another five year break. Amazing. Yeah, there's a Twitter. You can uh, hit me up, and I will maybe not answer because uh, I always forget about it. Uh, there's an Instagram. We'll put something on Instagram. Oh, I got the image for this one, baby. Don't oh, worry about it. Perfect. Uh, and yeah, uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in the dumpster.